0: Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host,
2: Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi. Hi. Welcome to I Lead the Leadership Connection. I'm your host, Linda Sharkey, and I'm excited to be here with you today. I uh, just am uh, actually at Crotonville, the famed Crotonville uh, in New York, which is the Leadership and Development Institute for GE Leaders, has been there for about 50 years, and I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to be the head of executive and leadership development for GE Capital, which was one of the largest businesses globally for GE, and I did all of their executive development worldwide. So I come back periodically, and it just feels like old home week. What's exciting about being here is I started a coaching initiative at GE, GE Capital, which spawned across all of GE. If you go to my website, you'll see I have some articles written about that experience uh, that I wrote for a book with Marshall Goldsmith, who actually was the inspiration behind the coaching model that I put in place. I used his coaching model, the behavioral coaching model, which I thought was an excellent, easy process and methodology to help leaders really continue to up their game. And then I turned around and taught HR leaders on how to be behavioral coaches. And then we measured it year over year every six months. And we got the same results in positive behavior change from our internal executive coaches as we got from external coaches. And I'm talking coaching 750 to 1,000 people. It was very fascinating because uh, we measured not just what the coach thought. In fact, we didn't even measure what the coach thought. We measured what peers, subordinates, and the boss thought in terms of the individual's behavior change. It was such a successful event that the results were at one point reported to the board of how, how well this worked in terms of helping good people, great leaders become even greater leaders. The reason I'm telling you that story is because it's so exciting to be back here at Crotonville, and I'm here doing a workshop with other, a couple of other colleagues, uh, former GE HR leaders uh, on coaching and helping people think through how you leverage coaching for high impact. So it's been an exciting week. I also, early part of this week, went to the first Ultimate Culture Conference with Rob Cook mm-hmm. at Human Synergistics and did a case study there with one of my clients, York Risk Services. And I have read an awful lot about coaching and, um, and, and culture. And the reason I like the methodology that Human Synergistics uses is because it is measurable it is data-driven, it is based upon years and years of research around what makes a constructive culture. I use that data in our most recent book, Winning with Transglobal Leadership. So many people make the mistake of not measuring culture and getting the data to really define what the current culture is. So culture, for me, is something that absolutely should and can be quantifiable. It should be measured. It should be rooted in any culture change, rooted in data and facts and not somebody's hunch or not somebody's belief on what they wish the culture was as opposed to what it really is. So for me, coaching and culture kind of go hand in hand, which leads me to my guest today, Murag Barrett. I have had Murag on in the past, And she's just doing wonderful things out there in the field of leadership development. And and what I love about uh, what she brings to the workplace is really helping people look at the power of winning relationships. And every time I see negative cultures, there's two things that exist in those negative cultures. And one is, People don't have good relationships. People operate with fear. They're pitted against each other. Sort of reminds me of that article of, no, none of you have read about Amazon, which some pundits called the Hunger Games of corporate America. So when you have that, you know for sure you're not cultivating great relationships. But when you have people that coach, that help, that want to see... Others be successful, that's where you know you have the kind of behaviors in place that are cultivating great relationships. So, Marag, thanks for joining me again today. It's just great to have
3: you. Linda, I'm excited to be back. Thank you for inviting me.
2: You know, I know you have a uh, survey that goes along with your Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships, which, of course, is your best selling book. But how has that survey been running for you? What, what have you discovered through that? Because I know you're doing a lot of uh, collecting of data around it and uh, looking at the impact that building effective relationships at work and cultivating those relationships have.
3: Well, I I was listening to your introduction. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, an organisational culture is the sum of the explicit behaviors, but also the implicit unspoken rules as to how business gets done and to your point when relationships are strong and trust is high then you tend to see a correlation with a really positive um, organisational culture and results that they can generate but when uh, relationships are toxic, when they're unhealthy then that bleeds over and infects the organisation and you very quickly see a more tough uh, culture uh, resulting and the, the assessments that we are in the process of developing right now, take the concepts from the book, Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships and the workshop, and allow people to diagnose the health of their working relationships. So it leads them through a process where we're not guessing now, we're looking at the behaviors I'm demonstrating to you and experiencing from you. And as a result, naming the elephant in the room, and as a consequence, it allows us to move forward, to address any misalignment and misunderstandings, and hopefully nurture what I describe as an ally relationship, a positive one. And it's so
2: important. And you know why this occurred to me? I, I coach a number of people, as you probably know, and uh, yeah. many se- many yeah. senior executives. And it's so interesting because their issues are always around relationships and behaviors that they're using. Mm-hmm. It's never... an intellectual flaw. It's never because they don't know how to do the job. It's always because they either get so caught up in themselves, uh, they, they cannot see their behavior for what it is and the impact that it's having on others. And I thought of your sort of matrix in helping leaders really see the nature of the relationships that they're building around them and how to create allies in certain circumstances. And I thought it's a phenomenal coaching tool. Phenomenal.
3: Well, it is. Well, think about it. I mean, our whole school system is built around nurturing the IQ, how smart you are and your functional expertise. It's around individual performance, me versus the exam board. And can I graduate in the top X percent of my class? And although I've started to see a change in the curricula that's being offered, a smaller proportion of that study, whatever um, expertise and major you're looking at, is actually given to how do I communicate and collaborate and work with my colleagues and so, of course, when people graduate and we get into the workforce, is it then any surprise to us that it's not about are you, is it, are you smart enough? Because invariably, the answer is yes. Individually, everybody is smart enough at what they do. It's the how business gets done where things trip up, where I don't communicate expectations, whether it be around timelines or what success looks like or what the widget is that you need to pass to me in order for me to get my stuff done. And so that's where you and I, as executive coaches or working with teams and leaders, can help bridge that gap and provide the tools and the language and the frameworks that help people to collaborate and build high-performing teams.
2: Yeah, so so critically important. You know, I did. I mentioned Amazon as we we started out, and mm. um, I, you know, I'm i know that you've you, you've tracked all the information about Amazon. Do you have any thoughts about them?
3: Well, again, it's the. It's always interesting to me, it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO from the top down or the line manager who thinks that they are um, delivering a leadership style of openness and collaboration. The number of times I'll hear leaders say, well, I have an open door policy. And then you say, well, okay, so how many people have taken advantage of that in the last seven days? Who's come in and actually asked you for feedback or asked you for input? And then they'll go, oh, yes. So the knowing and doing gap can be huge. Just because you have the door open and you've said to your team, involve me, come ask, doesn't necessarily mean that you have a culture or an environment that is encouraging them to do so. And that's where we can help leaders to look at their intent to be collaborative, to be open door. And their impact, which is, well, last time I came and asked you for my help, you were multitasking on email and gave me the impression that I wasn't important. Well, the last time I asked for your um, help in resolving an issue, you told me to go away and fix it. So, of course, I didn't come back. So, there's a disconnect between what we know we should do and the impact that we have day to day that sometimes people overlook,
2: Yeah. And, you know, I often use, uh, again, it's a human synergistics tool. I use uh, the Leadership Impact Survey, which is a 360 survey, and it helps leaders Mm -hmm. see the behavior that they use and the effect that that's behavior, how that behavior is impacting the productivity of the people that work for them. And it's a huge eye opener when people see this. Uh, And, you know, you made a, you make tons of interesting points but i loved your point about measuring iq and perhaps that's why when we get into the workplace everybody the higher up they get in the organization they want to be the smartest person in the room because that's what they we taught them you've got to be smart and if you're not smart you can't get ahead but what is smart really you know it's not demonstrating to everybody in the world that you're brilliant it's listening and engaging with others
3: It is, and Marshall Goldsmith talked about it nicely in his book and his philosophy around what got you here won't get you there. And what can happen with the smartest and brightest is that correlation of I got promoted because I'm smart and bright. And the answer, as you and I know, is yes, you did, and you got there in spite of being smart and bright. You got there in spite of some bad (laughs) habits. And if as an organization we're not um, articulating For example, you talked about how do we articulate and describe our organizational culture. If we can't articulate that, if we can't articulate how expectations change as we move through the organization and our our leadership levels, how can we hope? to have leaders who can modify their approach and turn the dial up or down as appropriate to reflect the new increased scope and complexity of their role. We don't have those conversations. So people keep doing what they did before. The, I was smart, that's what got me... So therefore, I will continue to be the smartest person in the room. And then we sit back and wonder why we're not delegating, can't delegate, don't have a succession plan that can be fulfilled and all sorts of ripple effects that ultimately slow us down and undermine our ability to deliver the results being asked of us.
2: I couldn't agree with you more, Marog, and we are at break, so stay with us. I'm talking to Marog Barrett, leading expert in leadership organization change, and has a great book out, Cultivate, and a workshop around it. Stay with us. We'll be back, and our next segment, we're going to be talking about the new world of work and what, from our experience, we see are the tenets that people are going to need to consider as they design, develop their workforces, their organizations, and of course their leaders.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based
1: solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit LyndaSharky.com. Again, that's LyndaSharky.com.
0: If you want to learn how
1: to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey dot Now. Back to I Lead, The Leadership Connection.
2: Hi, welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host with I Lead, The Leadership Connection. And with me today is Marag Barrett. Oh, well, why, why I love Marag is, you know, her, she has a range of experiences. She's a sought after speaker all over the world. And not only is she somebody who's consulting now, but she's been there she's worked in some major corporations globally. And I love the other fact is that she's part of the Broomfield Symphony Orchestra. As a bassoonist, I think that's so wonderful. What made you pick that up, Marag?
3: Oh, well, I come from a family of musicians. so music was never going to be optional in my house. And so the secret is I also play the piano. My first instrument was the flute, but flautists are ten a penny. And so at 15, when I'd finished all the uh, Royal College of Music exams in the UK, what was I going to do? And so it was my teacher who suggested I pick up the bassoon, which is the largest and uh, the base of the woodwind instruments. And they are not ten a penny. And so as a result, having now learnt to play the bassoon, that is essentially my principal instrument. And I am the principal bassoonist for the Broomfield Symphony Orchestra.
2: How exciting is that? See, that is why you, you know, because people that work in orchestras understand how interdependent roles and relationships are.
3: Oh, definitely. So I'm, definitely.
2: I bet that's a real underpinning. So let's talk about what we're seeing in uh, the new world of work. Uh, I, I, re- I had a guest on, uh, Corey Cogan, who wrote a great book um, about, uh, productivity, and uh, she's from Franklin Covey Institute. And one of the things that was was in her book, which I happen to believe firmly, is a lot of the things that we did to build capability were and and sustainability of organizations was based on the industrial era. And people who listen to the show have heard me say this many times. And however, some of those things are really great, need to continue on, but they need to be tweaked for the new value. Because we're working much more with uh, what I would call knowledge workers, people who have a great deal more experience, have a great deal more education, who are contributing at higher levels and don't need the same sense of control that we've had before. And I started the program by talking about culture, and I think culture is key, and it's king, Uh What are the things that you're seeing in the new workforce that people in the new world of work that people need to consider?
3: Well, I think we're all seeing it um, in a bit of a mishmash sort of way. I mean, there are a few thought leaders that I'm following who are talking about the transformation in the workplace. But for most of us, I think it's um, something that comes up when the headlines come in. For example, the impact of technology is transformational, not just in how business gets done. And I remember when the first fact machine was delivered to the bank I was working at at the time, and I thought we'd reach the modern age. And you think about the technology we carry in our mobile phones now, let alone what was in the first VDU or computer that I had on my desk. And right. what I don't see at the moment is a very disciplined thought place Uh, thought process in our corporate clients that are anticipating how these changes are going to accelerate, in my mind, and impact business within the next, I think, decade or 20 years. I think it's going to be very different.
2: Yeah, and what I do see, Murag, uh, a lot of times is people are trying to control individual use in the workplace of technology. People walk into the workplace with their Smartphone, their iPad. Yep. I mean, that's a, that's a factor of their life. And how do we leverage that as opposed to going back to the old ways of trying to control what people do? I think we have to rethink a lot of our policies and practices. It's not easy for folks.
3: And and also, I think there's a dichotomy there, though. That you yeah. Think about, yes, the proliferation of um, IT and technology. So I've got my phone, I've got my laptop, and I might have an iPad, and I might have my desktop. And all of these present a real live risk to data security and industrial right. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is where the control comes in. But at the other end of the scale where I think we're seeing a push-pull experience is for example teleworking and so the idea of working remotely and that we can be productive whether it's in the coffee shop or whether I'm working 5,000 miles away from my corporate office etc this is a mindset shift and a cultural shift that hasn't yet been truly understood or embraced in many organizations but one that I think will continue to grow versus lessen and can't legislate or control to prevent it it is going to happen so how do we get ahead of that curve and start thinking about the flexible workforce but also ensure that the collaboration teamwork etc that happens when you're co-located isn't lost and that's an example for me of what was the challenges we're facing that's driving some of the behavior and what needs to happen
2: yeah, I think we're never going to get away from the fact that people want relationships, yeah. However, they get them, and it's yeah. not necessarily. And, and and studies done on the millennials, and the the uh, generation Z now, is that mm-hmm. they want face to face communication. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to be sitting in an office twenty four. You know, and contributing FaceTime, but they need that social and personal connection. And so organizations need to build that into their uh, lexicon of how, of how they lead. Uh, Also, you know, the other thing that the the Pope was recently here and, and uh, I guess I I think, Nope, I think he's gone. But uh, one of the things he talked about was inclusion. And to me, this is the big, the big Question, you know, before we used to talk about diversity, and oh, we've got to have diverse workforces. Well, you know, we have diverse workforces; it's here. So this links to me with culture. How do you leverage and build an inclusive environment and an inclusive, uh, an inclusive situation so people can t- contribute, whether they're sitting in a cafe in Singapore or they're uh, sitting in a cafe in. Pakistan or working in an office there or in, in the United States and yeah. East Oshkosh. How do you create that inclusive environment so that you can tap into the power that people have?
3: I agree. I think as humans, we're hardwired to that to seek out that sense of connection. And technology has given us the illusion of connection in many cases. You only have to look at the people who will rattle off, how many Facebook friends they have, and how many LinkedIn connections they have. But those are just two-dimensional in one way. Uh, two-dimensional in that they happen in the Internet, in the interwebs. But when, when an emergency happens whether it's at work and you need help to, to meet a deadline or whether it's socially in your family life, who can you call on? Who's going to step up and help you through it? And that, again, is another example of the knowing-doing gap. We can collect connections online like baseball cards, but ultimately if it doesn't truly result in a relationship where I can pick up the phone and say, hey, Linda, I'm having a tough day. Or, hey, Linda, I've just been given this problem to solve and I don't know where to start. What recommendations do you have? Then we get into an environment and a culture of disconnection. And that's a very lonely place to be and a very... um, unproductive place to be because being smart goes back to our earlier conversation. I, we cannot individually deliver the results needed for career success or business success. Those are only delivered when we come together and the power of one and one becomes three. We get exponential growth when we communicate and collaborate, when we connect.
2: Yes. And, you know, there, uh a ceo of tanfeeth is um a uh united arab emirates company and and they do uh outsourcing etc um and his his name is uh Sohail. Been to Taraf, and I've, I've had him on the show, and he talked about, you know, which, which I don't think too many American companies would do, quite frankly. They have a morning shape-up with all their employees. Now, these are knowledge workers. Uh, there are mm-hmm. 40-some different nationalities represented in his company, which is growing by leaps and bounds. Every morning they get together, leaders, managers get together with their teams and says, you know, how's everybody feeling today? Anybody have any problems, any issues? Um... I forget all the questions that they ask, but basically he gives people opportunity to say, you know, I'm not feeling good today. I really have a, a big problem at home and uh, or I'm not feeling well. And the manager or the leader will say, fine. You know, what do you need to do? I'd like to go home for the next couple of hours. I'll make it up in the next two days. Yeah. Okay, fine. You know, now that, that builds a trust. And at first, people, he said, at first people were like, Is this real? But then it became (laughs) a a, a real trust thing, and people don't take advantage of it. And you know in our country we'd like, oh, people are going to cheat. People are going to take advantage. We can't possibly do that. But it works beautifully for his organization.
3: Well, I think it comes back to we hire adults. And if we treat each other as adults, you'll get an adult response. And yes, there's a risk that people may take advantage. In my own company, we have unlimited PTO. None of us have taken advantage of it. And if somebody were, then... That's where it's the power of feedback and the coaching and the real, realigning of expectations comes in. In fact, right. in my own team, we start every single meeting that we have with what we call ripples and joys. And it's what's happening, what's excited us, what are the joys either personally or professionally, and then the ripple effect of the things that are happening in our professional and personal lives that are leaving a legacy that we want to share with the team. And that has resulted in very powerful conversations and built the trust and the relationships with everybody who's part of SkyTeam. It seems simple in its execution, but it's powerful in the results that have come from it.
2: Yeah, so I think that's another tenet of the, uh, you know, rethinking the rules of the workplace and making the yes. rules of the workplace for the 90% or 95% of the people who come with the honest and trusting perspective instead of making the rules for the workplace for that 5% and using accountability for that 5% to make sure that they understand they're not rowing with the culture. And that's a different mindset. It's a trusting mindset, which a lot of people, it's hard for them to switch on and off. So we are at break. Stay with us. We're going to be talking about the other new tenants of the uh, new world of work uh, with my guest, Marag Barrett.
1: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here.
0: Voice America Business Network.
1: You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, The Leadership Connection.
2: Welcome back, and thanks for being with me. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of ILEAD, The Leadership Connection. And with me today is Marag Barrett, and we're having a great and lively conversation around the new, the tenant's, of the new world of work and things that we need to think about and adjust as we're building for the future. One of my favorite ones is really leveraging the brain. I don't think we know enough about the brain. I mean, people have said we're studying it more and more, but we're really understanding that people can train their brains to think differently. I think it plays into our whole notion of um, how we develop leaders, how we do performance reviews, how we do a lot of things. What are your thoughts on that subject, Marag?
3: Well, like you, I'm watching the emerging research that's coming out. I'm certainly not a medical expert. I'm not a neuroscientist or anything like that. But what I am is a practitioner. And it's the how do you take these insights that we're getting and and apply those in the workplace in a way that makes sense to um, me and other leaders who are doing the best they can every day and occasionally making mistakes. But what I love and liken it to, for me, in terms of leveraging the brain, it comes down to curiosity and empathy. So when things are just yes. going to plan, it, we're very quick to point fingers and a point blame and maybe label our colleagues, oh, well, that's sales or that's operations. What did you expect or that's so-and-so and they're a slacker. And as yeah. soon as we do that, we create right. a neuropath. I've, I've seen that movie you? before, Morag.
2: I've seen that movie before.
3: Yes, it plays out occasionally, doesn't it, in workplaces. But of course, as soon as we start labeling people or labeling teams, then we start to respect that behavior we always go looking for evidence that they are slackers for example in the case for the prosecution whereas with curiosity and empathy it goes back to our earlier segment empathy if i understand you've got issues at home Then when you um, take time off or you miss a deadline, I can give you the benefit of the doubt. It's not that you're slacking off. It's because there's this X issue that you're also dealing with. Now, if it becomes an ongoing pattern, maybe there's a different conversation that we need to have. But that empathy, because I have a relationship and I understand what's happening, means that we can work around these hiccups that we all experience in life and in work. And curiosity, to me, goes into this because when things don't go to plan rather than jumping to the worst case solution of you did this on purpose to make me look bad, we can remain curious to say, well, why would a rational human being do this? What might have caused this outcome? How might I have contributed to this state of affairs? And then that gives us options versus just assuming that we have to go in and tell somebody off or assume the worst. And that may not be the
2: case. Yeah. And, you know, that comes into the whole, you know, brain perspective as well, because the first place we go when things are going wrong is we retreat, you know, and we go yes. to self-preservation, especially when uh-huh. we're getting negative feedback. And, and uh, y- y- you know, that is one of the things that it's. Hard for people to stop and retrain their brain to say, well, maybe this wasn't purposeful. Let's have a conversation yeah. about this. Let's not assume. Let's find out what's going on for somebody and, and talk it through. But that's not our natural reaction. That's not our first no.
3: Still Well, we're fighting we, a millennia of evolution. Out. Oh, I'm sorry, Linda. I'm just saying we were fighting a millennia of evolution that's developed this fight-or-flight response that kept us alive when we were right. living in caves and therefore very needy, needed. But here in the workplace, most of us are not in a life-or-death situation, but our emotional memory system, Correct. the limbic system, the amygdala, doesn't know that. All it says is, I just had negative feedback. Oh, my goodness, danger. And I either shut down and get yep. defensive or I react aggressively. And what we have to do is learn to anticipate those triggers and it is possible to manage and respond versus react when these situations happen.
2: That's right, and understand the triggers. That's why I love Marshall's latest and newest book. Oh, I do triggers. too. What triggers your behavior? What triggers your behavior? Why? Why? Yes. Why? Are, you know, do you react the way you do? And what can you do to control that higher order of the brain? Because we all do fall back. We don't even realize it when yes. we get angry, when we say things that we don't mean, we don't want to say. It's it's we're we're, we're falling back to the primal portion of our brain, which leads to the whole question of performance management. Now, I want to make very clear to everybody, I do not think that any company can go without having a clear set of accountabilities and a clear set of discussions around performance. But my view is that when you start giving people negative feedback, which sometimes you have to do, it triggers that primal behavior in folks. Instead of looking at your performance system from a performance excellence point of view, What does excellence look like? At the end of this quarter, if you do X, Y, and Z, what does that look like if it's really great? And then helping people through that quarter and through the year to achieve that. That's a very different conversation than, you know, well, here are your strengths. Here are your development needs. You didn't make this. You didn't do that. That brings out the defensiveness in people. I'd love your thoughts on that because it's a raging debate out there.
3: Oh, I agree. I mean, this whole idea of being evaluated, whether it's a 1 to 3, 1 to 5, 1 to 10 scale, it makes no difference. It's still a pass-fail and I understand right. how we got here but the challenge has become that in many organizations the performance management process and the grade that you're given is the mechanism that's used to distribute a finite pot of bonus money or merit rises right. or whatever and that has driven I think these predictable surprises but unintended outcomes and I like the conversations that are happening that are around how do you decouple the mechanism for distribution Any bonus. Okay, fine, do that. But building a culture that is around continuous learning and growth, the culture mindset that you talked about in the environment you created at GE and that you and I are creating now in our consulting businesses, where these conversations are continual. They're not when the email from HR comes out once or twice a year, it's daily, it's weekly. Better do the performance reviews. Yeah. And it's focused on. How do I help you to be successful? And that to me is the underpinning of an ally relationship as well. As my, as your boss, my number one job is and should be to ensure your success. Because if you're successful as my team, then I'll be successful in achieving my boss goals. My boss's boss is going to be successful and we We all win, essentially. So I love the conversations that are happening. Of course, the dilemma is, what are we replacing it with? And until we decouple those two conversations, the reward from the feedback and coaching, I think there's going to continue to be tension for a little while longer.
2: I think so too, and you know it's interesting. I had Bill Connelly on the show, you know, who is uh, the head of, he's oh, yeah. chief human resource officer for GE for the long for a very for a very long time, and he's, you know, consulting with the Fortune Who's Who around the world, and uh, you know, doing a lot of really great stuff. I, he even talked about that, you know, that labels do not work, and he said, you know, he saw that when they had a five scale. Um, uh, scale in in GE and he moved to you know you're you're you know a top talent or you're highly valued you know that's one or the other and then you know and then there's always going to be that small cadre of people that are just not pulling their weight not accountable and you have to deal with them and you have to deal effectively with them but he said it's really important that people can see that they're contributing to the better purpose of the organization and are working to their best and working to excellence. And I do think that the old performance evaluation systems were really much more about control and monetary distribution than it was really to drive increased and ever forward performance of people. So I I told you I'm here at GE and tomorrow they're going to be unveiling their new performance uh, system that they've put in place so I'll, I'll be interested to see what it is because they're usually thought leaders yeah. in, in, in this area. So what do you think about labels?
3: Well, again, it's... it's- it's like the term underperformer. They were obviously yeah. a rock star when you hired the person. And in right. my experience, very few people are deliberately underperformers. Sometimes they're a square peg in a round hole, move them to a different team right. or a different manager, and suddenly they thrive. And so I read the new book by Reid Hoffman, The Alliance, but it's also book. linked yes. into the future of work, where he talks about instead of joining a company for a long-term career, you're essentially joining a company for a tour of duty to complete project yes. x or to launch the new performance management uh, performance process at ge for example so whether it's a few months or a few years but then there are overt conversations around what's working what's not do we extend the tour of duty do we move you to a new project or is this the time to say thank you and goodbye but leave with a relationship intact heads held high and move on to the next big adventure And, you know, I see it play out in startups. There are people who are naturally talented in the startup environment who can take a blank sheet of paper and build something, but then struggle in the sustained success that comes once you have got through that startup phase. But it's hard for, well, you're the founder. How do we let that person go? You're employee number five. But if we can start having a conversation around where is our best fit? Where do we thrive? What do we get excited about doing every day? Then there's no shame in, you know, we've moved from startup to teenage years. We need a different set of leadership skills. Let's go and find you a new product to develop or a new company to launch and get the right people in who can sustain success and support a growth mindset. So, I think again. I the think
0: that's a
2: brilliant work, perspective.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you. I think the I, evolution of there. I think that's of a brilliant perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and an I old do conversation. think that. This,
2: mm. Yeah. This whole notion of, uh, you know, that employee contract, employee employer contract. Here's what mm-hmm. we need. Here's what we want. Here's what you deliver. Here's what we'll deliver. Uh, and if we have to part ways, that's okay. Because you probably see, I know you do a lot of work in Silicon Valley, and I do too, that, you know, there's a lot of these startup companies, to your point, that they feel this loyalty to somebody that no longer fits in the organization, and they're not doing the person any good, they're not doing the company any good, and they're not doing their team any good.
3: Agreed. And again, it comes back to setting expectations from the start, checking in regularly and realigning those as needed on both sides. And also recognizing that sometimes the the culture of the organization, the needs of the organization change, in which case I'm now back to, as I said earlier, the square peg and a round hole. doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means this isn't the right environment for me. So how do we either create it, find it, or I find it if I own my own career somewhere else? Yeah, and you
2: know, that does go back to that. It's that old culture is king and you really have to understand your culture because if you don't, Mm -hmm. you can put in all these little great processes and practices and the culture will ultimately sabotage them because that's not how people operate. Agree. Very interesting. We're at break. Stay with us. I'm talking to Moran Barrett. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, and we're going to have a couple questions from the field. Stay
3: with us.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit LyndaSharky.com. Again, that's
2: LyndaSharky.com. Get a unique and playful insider's take on the biggest stories in tech, media, and entertainment. Join H. Schwartz, well-known technology catalyst, comedian, and geek girl, as she and leading experts in the media and content business dive into the biggest stories in technology trends, consumer behaviors, and its impact on Hollywood. If you're looking to respond to the tech-fueled changes in the marketplace, then tune in to the Tech Cat Show Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business and syndicated to Voice America Women's Channel.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now... Back to I Lead the Leadership Connection.
2: Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host, and we're having a great conversation. I'm having a great conversation with Marag Barrett. We're talking about the new world of work. And we have a question, Marag, uh, that was emailed in, actually. It's, it's from somebody in India, and they emailed it last night, but I think it's a very relevant question. Question because they're going to be uh, listening to this as a, as a, uh, after the, the session. What three things, if you were going to say, what are the three most important things that somebody has to consider in this new world of work? What are they?
3: So I think for me, as I look at the challenges my clients are facing now and anticipating in the next few months, the three challenges for me boil down to the what the how and the who. So the what, the challenge is in identifying the corporate culture we have today or the team culture we have today and what we need it to be in the future. The how is when we have a globally-based workforce or a geographically dis- dispersed workforce, how do we encourage that teamwork and collaboration and then the who is all around building um, ally relationships, powerful professional relationships that are built on the basis of trust that then drive the candour and debate needed for success. So for me, the three challenges are what around the culture, the how in terms of the collaboration and teamwork, and the who in terms of developing those trust-based relationships.
2: Well, and there was an add-on question. Uh- from that question uh, from Kumar um, and how would you go about doing some of those things quickly we don't have that much time but Kumar really not only what, what's the what but how would you go about
3: so I would get um, this is about a small team so assuming I'm a middle manager in in his organization I would sit down with my team and my direct reports and I would ask a few questions around How would we describe our culture today? What are the stories being told at the water cooler? What are the symbols that we have on display, whether it's the corporate values and so on? What are the behaviors that are supporting that culture? And then what is positive or negative about it? What's helping or hindering our success? And I would create just three to five bullets of what do we want it to be? Because what that will drive, once you identify what you want your culture to be, we can focus on the how. How do we as a leadership team role model that every single day? If we say we want increased teamwork and collaboration, maybe one of our actions is to pick up the phone to our remote team workers at least once a week to check in and see how they're doing, not what they're doing, how they're doing. Are they enjoying? Are they feeling connected? And that can spark the momentum that brings rapid change. But it isn't about sending out a memo that says we're now going to be um, a high integrity, collaborative culture. You have to do it in order for people to understand and to, to buy into that change. So what can they do? Sit down and talk about it. Describe it now. Describe it in the future and choose three to five things that they can actively do and role model day to day. And then you can add the rest of the thing to the to, to list to the to do list another time. But pick three to five things right now and start role modeling it. That's how you bring about change.
2: And, you know, I think that that's transformational. If people can do that, then it's going to be transformational for their company. Murag, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to other things that we're going to do together. Um, stay tuned. Uh, it was just great having you on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Linda. And we'll talk again, I'm sure. So uh, this is a great discussion that I just had with Murag. Um I just wanted to finish up and say tomorrow... I'll be at Crotonville. I'm at Crotonville right now, actually. And, and tomorrow I'll be uh, doing my coaching workshop there and also hearing what they're doing about performance process, performance management process, of performance evaluation, and how they're aligning it or disaligning it with uh, compensation. So I'm excited about that. And I'll be sharing that with others on the show. Coming up after this show... I will be having next week, Nazneen Razi. And this is going to be my topic of the moment. What are the things we need to think about going forward? Nazneen and I are going to be talking about a leadership construct of what leaders need to do for the future. We're we're using our own research and actually the research from our book, Winning with Transglobal Leaders, to discuss the five leadership dimensions that we have Discovered and uncovered actually through some pretty in depth research that are going to be the leadership dimensions and behaviors essential, particularly for anybody in a global role. But the more we walk, the more we go around the globe and the more we continue to work through others and with other leaders, we are beginning to see that these leadership dimensions are essential for any leader now. And it's so interesting because some of them are really not new, but they were never focused on as much before because people could go back to the old command and control and the old uh, plan, do, check, act approach. And that just is simply not going to work in this highly complex, highly interconnected and incredibly diverse world. So when I was talking to Nazneen, she shared four things that I think is a philosophy that I just loved it. We'll we'll talk about it on the show, but she said great leaders really are passionately optimistic and create a better future. That's what leaders do. They don't come in every day and say, oh my God, things are terrible. This is so awful. They create an optimistic future and they're passionate about it and they are curious. They want to learn about other people. They don't shut other people down. They don't operate under closed bias and say you're good and, Uh, You're bad. They are curious as to why people do things. They create new knowledge and learning. And they liberate new ideas. They're highly innovative. And the final one I thought that was really something to consider is they are compassionate and compassionate beings. And that plays a lot into what Marag and I were talking about. Now, these are things that you can learn, actually. There is an art and science to leadership. You can learn to be passionate and compassionate about the people that you work with and for. You can learn how to develop others and help others be the best that they can be. These are all things that I believe leadership is really about. Leadership is not a role. It is a privilege. And being a leader requires you to be very introspective and thoughtful about who you are and how you impact others. So thanks so much for being with me today. I hope you loved the show as much as I did, and stay with us next week for a discussion with Nazneen Razi, the head of human resources for Healthcare Services Corporation. She supported over seven CEOs as the CHRO in her career. Lots to talk about.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.